0: Dear God, we're thankful that we are able to come together today and worship you this morning. God, it reminds us that you are indeed God, and we're not. You're the Holy One, and worthy of all praise. Dear God, we're reminded that we need you. We are in need of rescue, because we've sinned. We've broken your law. From the youngest to the oldest, we've all failed you. When temptation comes our way, we've relished it rather than rejected it. Please forgive us for sinning against you, Lord. God, you say in your word that if you, Lord, should mark and record our sins, who could stand? No one can stand before you. We've all gone astray. We've all turned to our own ways instead of yours. But you, God, in your infinite mercy, have laid all of our iniquity on Jesus for all those who repent and believe. Thank you, God, for Jesus and his sin-cleansing power. God, may we rejoice in that today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before you find your seat, find someone nearby and give them a hearty welcome. You can have a seat, I'm George, I'm one of the pastors here. Good morning, welcome to First Baptist Church. If you're new to our church, a special welcome to you. Our mission here is to treasure God and and love people. And I I hope you see that today uh, in your interactions with with others in our our congregation. One of the ways we love to connect with you is through the blue card you got in your bulletin on the way in, that's our communication card. Uh, There you can ask questions, write a prayer request, uh, learn some more info and you can just drop those off at the Welcome center or in the offering box when you uh, walk out of the out of the auditorium here. A couple of announcements we wanted to highlight. One is that our first Baptist Church annual meeting is in three weeks on on January twenty eighth at 6 p.m right here in the auditorium. Um, info for, Those meetings or that meeting will will be in church mailboxes next Sunday on the 14th. Uh, In there, you'll see stuff like uh, the agenda for the meeting, information regarding new members, a budget for next year. We're also going to celebrate what God's done by looking back at 2023 and and plan to serve God more in 2024. Uh, If you're a member of FBC, this meeting is especially for you on the 28th. And so look for those that information. coming to your mailboxes uh, next Sunday. Wanted to highlight the senior adult ministry as well. If you're a senior adult, there's opportunities for you to connect with each other, fellowship, grow in the Lord. There's an activity coming up in about a week and a half. There's a slide up here. Um, you're visiting the sheriff's office and then also lunch at the Medford Cafe. That sounds like fun. Man, that's good. Uh, So, you know, more and more, I'm getting to like what these senior adults are doing here. Maybe I'm getting close to senior adult time. um, So sign up, senior adults, if you'd like to attend. There's a a list at the Welcome Center with some more information there, and you can learn more about uh, that activity. There's other announcements in your bulletin if you want to take a look at that at your own time. But in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, if you're three and four years old, uh, Beginner's Church time is happening real soon for you. So after I get done praying, that'll be your cue. If you want to walk out with mom or dad, go out these double doors to the right, and Beginner's Church will be there for the rest of the service time for our three and four-year-olds. But first, let's pray. God, we've, we've sung to you and we've had time to fellowship and connect with each other and now god we're asking that you would speak to us through your holy scriptures god we we want your word today maybe some of us here don't want to hear your word today and so would you would you god through your holy spirit draw all of us toward you right now god we just don't want 30 minutes of preaching and then for us to just go on our way. We want your word to to shape us, to mold us, to be more like Jesus. God, we're asking for our eyes to be opened to to see where we need to change and to grow, to become more like you. God, we want to claim your promises this morning that we read in scripture. We want to walk with you. We want our lives to be pictures of your glory. God, these are big requests so we boldly ask you to do powerful works in us this morning. So God, help us now. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Well, hey church, it's good to be with you today. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, it truly is a joy to worship with you. And uh, I, I want to start by just giving you some really good news, um, news I'm excited about and thrilled that God, it just shows God is working in the life of our church. I want to put some numbers on the screen if you, if you have those. Um, our, our budget uh, for 2023 in terms of what, what our goal was for giving was about 663000 as a church. And uh, we, we surpassed that. And we're, we're just thankful to God for that. So I want to I wanna just celebrate that, what God has done. Surpass that in a big way, and and what that means really is is that that's a resource to use for God's kingdom work, and so it's 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 not about all the fine detailed numbers or anything like that, but it's about what God is doing in the midst of His people, in a community, um, and and also uh, the the mortgage balance is is down to eighty five thousand, uh, which end of November it was over it was just over a hundred thousand. And so extra additional given was given for that as well, and so we're just thankful to god for for the good work he's doing um, through through each of us as we participate in his kingdom work so uh this morning uh i was I was originally planning to jump back into the book of ephesians and and continue with that uh, but as the elders and I uh discussed the teaching schedule for this year uh we we discern to do something a little bit different. Uh, we'll we'll jump back into Ephesians, but it'll be later in 2024. Today we're going to start a series called Servant Leadership in God's Kingdom. Now, now this series is about how God's Word actually provides uh, structure and function for the church. If you remember, in the fall we talked about purpose and mission for the church. Uh, now we're going to be talking about structure and function. For the church, and remember the church is God's people. Sometimes we think of the church as a building or a place we go, but the church is actually God's people. Now this series is going to take us through the end of February. We're going to see why we have the church, how the church is governed and by whom. We're, we're going to look at various leadership roles in the church. And, and my goal is, is not that this would be like a, a boring series of this, this is what we do kind of thing. But, but that, that we'd actually see what God is doing in our midst as a church. And he's calling us up to function in a way, a particular way, so that we glorify him. And so you might be sitting there today, well, I already know how the, how the church functions. The pastors lead. I know who leads the church. It's the pastors. Well, that's true. But that's not all of it. If you're united to Christ... You function as a leader in God's kingdom, the church. And this is important for all of us to understand. And so I want to look at what the Bible has to say about God's kingdom. Now, several hundred years before Jesus walked the earth, a prophet named Isaiah, he prophesied this in Isaiah chapter 9. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Now you might be thinking, well, we just looked at that passage in our Christmas series, and we did. It's a a great text to go to as we think about the coming of Christ, because it foretells Jesus' coming, but but it's a prophecy that points to the kingdom of God coming in Jesus Christ as the very head of the church. And then, when Jesus is on earth, it's recorded in Mark chapter 1, and this is what we'll Hone in on today a bit in verses 14 and 15 of Mark chapter 1. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Guys, the kingdom of God is here because of Christ. But, but it's also not yet here because all things have not yet been consummated in Christ, in his return. When, when, when Jesus says, when, when, when it's said here in Mark chapter 1 uh, that, that we must repent, what, what that means is, is repentance. It can be defined in different ways. Repentance starts with a heart posture, an attitude of grief and sorrow for our sin which leads to a spoken acknowledgement and confession of our sin, which leads to Christ-driven action, all by faith in God and by the gospel, so that our lives begin to look aligned with Jesus, that we become his image bearers. See, repentance, this call to repentance, is about laying down yourself. Because it's not about you anymore. Now, a life that's void of repentance is not a life in Christ. If your life is void of repentance, you don't have a life in Christ. In fact, it's actually trampling upon Christ and the good work of the gospel and his love. But, but, But when you trust Christ as your Savior and Lord with faith and repentance, you become part of God's family and that's what it means to be the church, the body of Christ. In, in essence, the kingdom of God is the presence of God with his gathered people. As we gather, that's what it means to be the kingdom of God. But at the same time, there's more to the kingdom because there's more yet to come. And So we must remember that that not everyone is a part of God's kingdom. And that's why we're really intentional about evangelism and sharing the gospel with others. I want to take this a little bit deeper though. If you get your thinking caps on, this, this is a little bit complex. But if you think about the kingdom as, as a gathering of people who are ruled by God, there is in a sense two kingdoms. Uh, follow me. The, the first is re, the redemptive kingdom. All believers from all time, those who have placed their eternal faith in Christ and they follow him as Lord, they're, they're part of the redemptive kingdom. Okay, that's what we typically think about when we think about the kingdom of God, right? Another, another kingdom in terms of what I'm trying to explain to you today is the common kingdom. This, this involves all people, whether they're believers or not, who have been created by God, and they're still under his sovereign rule. And so until the second coming of Christ, the redemptive kingdom exists in the context of the common kingdom. And so here's the difference. In in the common kingdom, people live under the law and under the curse of Adam, the first Adam. This involves toiling and striving to try to earn everything that might be good in your life. It's living in the midst of sin, without the power to break its curse or its dominance over you. This is rooted in the covenant with Noah, where God entered into a covenantal relationship with the entire human race, with all of creation, promising to preserve its cultural activities and justice. That's what he did. That's part of what he did in that Noahic covenant. This was the formal establishment of the common kingdom. However, in his covenant with Abraham, God actually entered a covenantal relationship with his chosen people with whom there is salvation. This is the formal beginning of the redemptive kingdom. The redemptive kingdom is rooted in the work of the last Adam, that's Jesus. Now, before the last Adam, no one accomplished the task of the first Adam to fulfill the law perfectly. Nobody could do it. But after the last Adam, Jesus, no one needs to accomplish it. Because the last Adam, Jesus Christ, has completed it once and for all who believe. Therefore, those who are, who are not part of God's redemptive kingdom in this broken world, this is the best they're ever going to know. But for those who've been redeemed in Christ, God will call the new heaven and the new earth down out of heaven, as it talks about in Revelation chapter 21, and his people will become more than just citizens of a world to come. They're going to become residents too. What a hope we have in Christ. But, But for now, God's people are called to live under both covenants meaning we live under both kingdoms. On one hand, we pursue the cultural activities in common with those who don't believe the gospel. In some ways, we're doing similar types of things as those who don't believe the gospel. But but on the other hand, we embrace that Abrahamic covenant of grace. We hold tightly onto the promises of a salvation and eternal life which we have in Jesus Christ. We do this as we gather as the church for worship. Now, if that was confusing, here's the most important thing that you need to take away from that God sovereignly reigns over both the common kingdom and the redemptive kingdom. And for those of us who are part of the redemptive kingdom, the, the Bible actually says in Hebrews 12 28, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. This redemptive kingdom of God, the Bible says, is unshakable. And so if you're united to Christ through faith in him, by his grace, you will never be shaken. Because you're in the kingdom of God. But for everything else in the world, listen to what Hebrews 12 says before verse 28. Hebrews, uh, we'll go to verse 26. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I I, I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. This tells us that everything that is not the kingdom of God will be shaken. All that is not God's kingdom will be removed. Now remember, God's kingdom is composed of God's people, those who have surrendered their lives to him. And so everything else, everyone else, All of the first creation linked to the first Adam will be shaken and removed. This is because God promises to create a new heaven and a new earth for his people. And then all creation and God's people, they'll join together in the final and ultimate fulfillment of what it means to be God's kingdom. But until God makes the new heaven and the new earth, we, as his gathered people who are filled with the Spirit, are the evidence of God's kingdom yet to come. We're the evidence as we gather together in worship of the kingdom yet to come. And that's why it's so important as as the church that we function in a way that we're designed to function even now. I'm talking about following the Bible's instructions about how to operate as a church. And that's what we're going to talk about in this series. We're going to answer this question, how are we called to function as God's redemptive kingdom now? Three things I want you to know, and they're going to kind of highlight what we'll look at in the series. <clears throat> in Christ, you're, you are God's redemptive kingdom. That's the first thing. You, you need to know it. In Christ, you are God's redemptive kingdom. Uh, The second thing, imitate Christ and the gospel through servant leadership. That's how we're called to live. And then number three, trust God with his kingdom structure. Let's go to the first one. In Christ, you are God's redemptive kingdom. Let's go back to Mark chapter 1. It says now, and you can see the text up there. Why don't you look at that? Um, what What it says is the kingdom's at hand. And so what do we do? Well, we repent and we believe, right? That's what the text is pointing us to. to. To be part of God's redemptive kingdom, we must repent and believe. So really serious question for you to think about. Sometimes maybe maybe you've thought about this before. I don't want you to gloss over it, but do you believe the gospel? Do you believe it? To, to believe the gospel, you must have a humble realization Of your own sinfulness, that your sin separates you from God. You've chosen to walk in your sin and it separates you from God. And at the same time, you must be so gratefully uh, grateful and, and accept God's grace as his righteous covering over your sin. That's the other part. Do you believe? Now, I, I remember a, a season in my life in which, which I thought I was, I was better than others around me. I, I, I wouldn't say that or anything, but I just kind of had this attitude of, I'm, I'm better. And, and really what drove that is I wasn't participating in those, those sins that, that sometimes us Christians might see as obvious or big or those, those, those things that we sometimes talk about all the time. So I thought I was good. But, but my heart, honestly, was self-righteous. It was full of pride. And I had to be humbled. I needed the Holy Spirit to humble me so that I would confess my sin to God and turn to depend on Christ's righteousness instead of my own. What does repenting look like in your life? Is, is repentance a daily part of your life? For for example, you may have a tendency to judge others, or maybe you speak of them uh, to others critically, which is gossip. And so as the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to see this is actually what you're doing, you acknowledge your sin to God, and you trust Christ's grace to cover you in forgiveness, and, and you turn in obedience to align your life with the way of Christ. Is that what repentance looks like in your life? Guys, this is how we enter and live in God's redemptive kingdom. It's it's grace fueled repentance. And we also follow Jesus. I want you to see what happens next in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers, men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. You see what they did? They they drop what they're doing, and immediately they go follow him. That's what the people of God's redemptive kingdom do. They follow Jesus. They they don't get distracted or caught up in the ways of the world. Rather, they immediately follow Christ. They turn to him. That's what repentance is. It's a turning to Christ. It's a turning to the way. People of the kingdom find their allegiance to Jesus. They're they're quick to drop anything that, that might get in the way of their worship of God. Namely, sin. And so if you're in Christ, you are God's redemptive kingdom. And honestly, if this is true of you, the, this truth, it offers unshakable and anchored hope for your soul. Now the next overarching theme I want you to know as we begin this message series is imitate Christ in the gospel through servant leadership. See, when God created humans, he did so with the intention that we'd be image bearers of God. The, the text that points to this is Genesis 1. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. and Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the heavens. And over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God, he blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Guys, that text is telling us that God, he made us in his image. And we're to bear the image of God in the way that which we live. Now, you and I know the problem, our sin, it, it, it broke our ability to reflect and bear the image of God in such a way that glorifies him. So the, the hope of the gospel is, is that we can now in Christ pursue God's image-bearing work. Guys, through, through the gospel, The dominion of sin has been defeated in our lives. And so we're equipped with the power of the Spirit to imitate Christ. I want you to notice, though, in Genesis, that part of what is meant to bear the image of God is actually to have authority. Now, because of sin, our authority becomes stained, and it doesn't reflect God's image. But the gospel... Because of the gospel in Christ, our authority can actually bear God's image again. God's image bearing authority in his people is one of servant leadership. I think one of the best examples of servant leadership is when Jesus washed his disciples' feet. He's he's God, king of all creation he stoops down to do the dirty, thankless job of washing his disciples' feet. And then Jesus says these words in John 13, verse 12, Do you, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so am I. If, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who he sent. If if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So should we practice washing feet? Should we do that? could, but Jesus is actually pointing us to a heart posture here. It's a heart posture of servant leadership. I'll admit to you, I I don't always live with that sort of heart posture in my life, but but it's the one that we as spirit-filled people of God, we strive toward in Christ because servant leadership imitates Christ. And, and it's because of the gospel that we're equipped to imitate Christ through servant leadership. Another picture of this is in Philippians chapter 2. Let me read this. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from, his, from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love but emptied himself. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Guys, this is a picture of servant leadership. And servant leadership is rooted in the gospel. It's marked by humility. It produces image bearers in Christ. How does your life reflect Christ as it's pictured in Philippians chapter 2? I want to encourage you to think about that this week. Maybe even go back and read that passage this week. Get out your Bible and underline those words or phrases that, that reflect Christ. And then pray. Pray with faith that God will enable you to do so. I want to be clear that servant leaders are are not just those who are in charge or have a formal leadership role. Servant leadership is, is the call of all who are Christ followers. Servant leaders give of themselves without looking for rewards. Servant leaders are selfless. They're they're actually more concerned about what they can give than what they can get. They're, They're less concerned about their rights and more concerned about their responsibilities. They care deeply about honoring God and others regardless of the cost that it is to them. Guys, servant leaders are first produced from the gospel, not by our own efforts, Sure, there's there's effort by the Spirit working in us, but it's the good, completed work of the gospel that drives that, all of it. Because the sorrow and grief of one's sin overwhelms a person, and, and then God's lavish love, his unending mercy, his generous grace, it's recognized, it's embraced, it's applied. And then you realize all that you are and have because of Christ, and you're overjoyed with gratefulness because of his grace, you know you don't deserve it. And so now you can't help but selflessly love and serve others because you've been so compelled to do so. I know of a woman who didn't hold an official position or role of authority and leadership in the church, but she just loved people. She did it sacrificially. She was a woman who who it became a regular occurrence for her to invite college students into her home for, for meals, to play games, just to talk. Nobody asked her to do it, she just did it. She'd come and be faithful to worship at one service. If she was out of town, she'd make sure she drove back so she could be there. She'd be at worship, and then she'd serve in the nursery at the next every single week. She'd invite random people from the community into her home for meals. And she never asked anybody to give her a pat on the back to notice her. She just faithfully served. Maybe you know somebody like this. If you do, encourage them. It's hard work. Maybe, maybe you want to put your servant leadership into practice. And if that's you, one simple way is to go right out there after the service at the Welcome Center and sign up on the serving card to sign up to serve here at FBC. Another biblical theme of this message series, this is the last one I'll share today. Trust God with his kingdom structure. Now throughout this series, we're going to look at what the Bible says about God's structure for his redemptive kingdom and how that should function in this world, specifically the the church, God's people as we gather. In fact, the Bible has a lot to say about this topic. We're going to talk about some of that. But here's what I want you to think about. God, he wants us to trust him with his kingdom structure. He's not asking us to figure out and understand why he did what he did or why he organized it this way or that way. He just wants us to trust him. Because God set the structure, not us. He asks us to trust him with it. And so he actually intentionally does two things that cause us to trust him. Here's the first. Much of how God's redemptive kingdom functions is beyond our control. Have you ever noticed that? It's beyond our control. Sometimes people think, well, well, the pastor has a lot of control. Well, actually, I don't. We don't. People in leadership, the president has a lot of control. No, he doesn't. Even though there's many physical aspects of this world, we live in a spiritual world which we don't see. But but even the physical aspects of God's kingdom, they're beyond our control. So that's the first thing. Second thing is much of how God providentially works in his redemptive kingdom, it's actually unknown to us. There's a lot he tells us in his word, but there's a lot he doesn't tell us. There's so much beyond our understanding and our comprehension. We we don't know how God sovereignly ordains all things, because that's what the word says. But at the very same time, we have a sense of free will and control in our lives. How does God do that? I don't know. We, We don't know why God allows certain horrific things to happen to some. While others he seems to to bless, or they have a seemingly better life. There's just so much that's unknown about God and his ways, even after reading and studying and knowing the Bible. And so the main thing for us to do, here's, here's, here's the application. Main thing for us to do, respond in faith trust God and to worship him we we respond with faith and worship not because we understand everything we don't we respond in faith and worship because God is on the throne that's why that's the only reason we need and, and, and I get it. It's so much easier to respond to the unknown with worry. In fact, sadly, I often do that, personally. I get worried about all sorts of things. Honestly, I got, I got worried that I'd be able to preach today with my voice. Worry is natural for us. Guys, you might be, you might be battling an illness or recovering from a surgery, and you're not sure what tomorrow's going to bring. You, you might be uncertain about what God's going to do to care for your kids in the midst of a difficult situation. You, you might be battling an anxiety which is rooted in past trauma, and it's real. Well, whatever the case, your circumstances matter to God. You need to know that today. But here's what God invites you to do. He invites you Regardless of what your circumstances are and how hard they are, he invites you to trust him and to worship him in the midst of the hard. Because if you're in Christ, you're part of God's unshakable, redemptive kingdom. Now before I pray, I want to leave you with a few words from Psalm 145. This is just such a phenomenal psalm. And this is because the the word, the Bible, is our source of truth when we might feel like doubting, when we struggle to have faith, when we're overcome by worry or anxiety. And so as I read these words to you before I pray, listen for reasons to put your confidence in God. Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord, guys, the Lord is good to all. And his mercy is over all that he has made. Gracious Father, thank you. Thank you for ordaining and sustaining your kingdom, your people. We admit that much of this can be so complex and hard to understand. And although some of what it means to be part of your kingdom is incomprehensible to us, We trust that you sent your son into this world to live in perfect righteousness, to die as the perfect substitutionary atonement for our sins, and to rise to life as the perfect guarantee that the dominion of sin has surely been defeated for us in Christ, and it's in his name we pray, amen.
2: There's only a redemptive kingdom because there's a redeemer. (laughs) And the redeemer redeemed through uh, through some acts through giving his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus our redeemer called us to celebrate that redemption his salvation on a regular basis through eating bread and drinking the fruit of the vine. And so that's what we're here for right now. We want to remember again, because that's what he said, again, again, and again. We want to remember again what Jesus did for us who place our faith in Christ hear this invitation to this table from the Lord Jesus. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Listen now to the Apostle Paul. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. What saying? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And if Paul says foremost, so should we. And lastly, listen to the Apostle John. He says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So with these words, those three callings, we invite you now to the Lord's table. And so let's come soberly. And joyfully. The time at this table right now is sacred. It's for those who have rested all their hope on the death and resurrection of Christ. If this is not yet you, then you should refrain from partaking of this table until you do come to repentance of your sins and to placing your faith in Jesus Christ. And then at that time, joyfully partake of the table with the church. If you are now repenting and trusting Christ, then we encourage you to examine yourselves now in these next moments, recognizing both the gravity of your sin. It was not nothing. or it was something. And the weight of Christ's sacrifice, it was not nothing. It was something. Listen to these words now from the Apostle Paul talking about the table, the Last Supper. <clears throat> Paul writes in First Corinthians chapter 11, starting with verse 23, For I received from the Lord, that's how he learned this, what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are now celebrating this meal that you've prepared for us. This bread and this cup are tangible and visible reminders both of our sin and also of the supreme and lavish sacrifice of your Son. So, Lord, as we meditate on the realities of our sin and the realities of your salvation, we ask for your help to fully confess our sins right now in the silence of this prayer. As the bread and cup are served, which will happen in just a moment, we ask that you'd hold them until everyone receives them. And I'll instruct you when to eat uh, so that we can do that together. So we'll separate the cups. We'll start with the bread. And so would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. These words of yours point to the cross. And so now as we eat this bread, help our souls to see through the symbol of this bread to the reality, the reality that you bore our sins in your body, the reality that you became sin for us, the reality that you were resurrected in your body and you were the bread of heaven and we feast in remembrance of your body given for us. Amen. This bread represents the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was given for you to preserve your body and soul to everlasting life. Let's eat in remembrance of his shed body and be thankful. Please pray with me again for the cup. Lord Jesus, when you handed the last supper cup to your disciples, you said, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Would you help us see now the reality behind the cup? The reality that you redeemed us through your blood. That you satisfied the Father's wrath toward us by your blood. The reality that you brought us near to God by your blood. By faith we drink in remembrance of your blood shed for us. Amen. This cup represents the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was given for you to preserve your body and soul to everlasting life. Let's drink and remember his blood and be thankful. Now let's respond by singing together.
3: Church, as you go today,
1: remember these words out of Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, all because of Christ and what he's done for us, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Let's be that people this week. God bless.